Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Man, did this dude just did this? I truly have enjoyed being your quarterback. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome to the first episode of Indiana Legends. I am John Ashworth. I am a history teacher and a basketball coach, and I am joined by the resident sports expert, Mr. Kevin Bowen. How are you doing, Kevin? First, I love that intro there. That is, uh, you, you're yeah. pulling out all the strings. I'm, I'm not you only know, super emotional, but yeah. uh, you know, some pretty funny moments in there as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of my all-time favorite quotes. Is the the Starks quote? Did this dude just did mm. this? That's that's got to be uh, an all-time all-time quote. That is one of my favorite 30 for 30s as well. All right. So for our listeners, um, we wanted to bring you a sports history podcast and we're a little biased, but we both think that Indiana sports history for such a small state is something that's just, um, I don't know, I think unmatched by other small states. Um, and just something that I think each episode could really bring to light some interesting stories on Indiana sports history. Yeah, um, I, I absolutely love the idea. When you pitched this to me a couple of weeks ago, I was um, I thought it was awesome. It's certainly something that I would want to listen to, and I feel like we kind of get labeled a little bit as you know, oh, it's you know, the only people know state of Indiana for Hoosiers or just Peyton Manning or amateur athletics and whatnot. But you throw all that together, and like you said, for a city that's the size of Indianapolis, um, it is pretty cool, and to see all the big events that routinely come here as well. So. I'm excited for it and uh, looking looking forward to getting started. Absolutely. And in our first episode, um, I think is a big, important step in Indiana sports history. We're going to talk about the move of the Colts from Baltimore to Indianapolis. And we talked a little bit earlier and um, I don't think people would believe this. Um, you know, I think it's a cliche to say, you know, sometimes reality is stranger than fiction, but this story is truly uh, kind of unbelievable. I mean, if somebody wrote a script for a movie, you would not believe this story. You know, it's something that in, in present day 2020 social media instantaneous news, this could never have been pulled off. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it is, but like you said, Hollywood would look at the script and totally just kind of crumble it up and throw it away. And, and, and you know, when I was doing a little bit of background on this, I'm thinking to myself, hey, what would our city look like without the Colts? Oh you my know, gosh. to you and I, who, you know, both were born after the move, we're just used to it. Like, yeah. it, you know, we just, we just act like the Colts have always been here, but how close it was, you know, kind of the stories of how close the Colts were not, you know, to not getting the first overall pick. Oh, yeah. take Peyton Manning or even take Andrew Luck, it, it's just as crazy of how, um, you know, really this franchise could be in a lot of different other cities besides Indianapolis. Definitely. And just, yeah, like you said, the scope of our city is different. You know, are we hosting NCAA championships? Are we hosting, you know, the list goes on of things that have been impacted by the Colts moving. So, um, you know, I think the best way to start this off is just to go in kind of a timeline order, um, you know, talk about the Baltimore Colts and then, you know, the process of how did this blue blood um, storied franchise of the NFL move from Baltimore um, to a kind of a sleepy town in the Midwest uh, at that point, still known as Naptown. Um, so let's start it off um, in the 1950s, 1960s, the Baltimore Colts 
Um, incredible franchise. Um, they, they won four NFL championships, one Super Bowl. Um, the 1968 team is still regarded as one of the best teams of all time, um, even though they're more famously known as the team that lost to the Jets right. and Joe Namath in the, uh, the guarantee game. Uh, but really seen, again, Johnny Unitas era, uh, seen as kind of the heart of the city of, the, uh, of Baltimore and just kind of a staple of that city. Um, you know, in doing the research, I didn't know this. Don Shula got his start for the Colts in the 60s. Yeah, you know, when you look back on, you know, from a coach standpoint or even a player standpoint, I mean, there are some gold jacket Hall of Famers up and down the list. You know, Johnny Unitas, obviously, probably being the, the biggest name. You know, Raymond Barry is a name that I don't know if a lot of people our age would recognize, but certainly people older than us. And, yeah. and, you know, Marvin Harrison broke a ton of his records and then Reggie Wayne followed with that. I mean, there are some, it, it, you know, I don't, Pittsburgh Steelers is probably too high of a praise. You know, New England Patriots might be a little bit too high, but like when you're talking present day franchises, I don't know, maybe think like Seattle Seahawks or just like consistent winner over the past decade. Yeah. That's exactly what the Baltimore Colts were. So that's what to me is like so stunning to think, you can have this in the 60s and really the early part of the 70s as well. And then all of a sudden, you know, less than, a, well, about a decade later, you're moving out of that city. I mean, like, think yeah. about, you know, using that again in present day terms of, oh, yeah, the Seattle Seahawks are going to move out of Seattle here in the next decade and they're going to move to, you know. Oklahoma City. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. Which uh, you, we don't want to go there again for the for for, for uh, the <laughs> that city sake. But uh, but yeah, I mean it, it is it is amazing to see how rich of a history they had, and yet they lost their franchise. You know, just about a decade later. Yeah, it, it, and again, it's and even that the move itself is so crazy. Um, and, and again, I didn't know this, but the whole purchase of the Colts and Robert Ursay is a story unto itself as well. You know, Robert Ursay bought the LA Rams first in the, in the early seventies. Um, you know, he was a, a business magnet out of, I think Chicago, right? Was he out of Chicago? Yeah. Like a ventilation system. If I remember yeah. correctly, it was kind of a big, was how he made, you know, pretty much all his money. So he buys the LA Rams. Um, and, he trades the franchise. He, they, they literally, the owners, the owner of the Colts, I think was Rosenblum, and um, Robert Ursay trade franchises straight up. I mean, can you imagine that today? Can you imagine, no. um, you know, Jim Ursay going to the LA Rams and just saying, hey, let's trade? And no, just, no and I mean, it, it seems... It's just so hard to do business just trading draft picks or, you know, yeah. whatever, trading back into the roster guy. Like, matching salaries in the NBA makes my head explode trying to imagine some of those trades. And I'm like, wait, this really happened? The LA Rams for the Baltimore, Baltimore Colts? I mean, just the legalities of it all. And, yeah. you know, it's something, I guess, you know, you, you've seen general managers get traded. Um, not recently, but that's something that happened, you know, kind of in the nineties, but to trade just straight up franchises seems so foreign to me. But I mean, back then, I guess it was somewhat normal, at least, you know, didn't receive that type of headline. So it would certainly get right now. Yeah. And so Ursay takes over the Colts. Um, and he was a long Unitas fan. Um, he, he had grown up, you know, watching Unitas. He was a huge Unitas fan. And he pledges to keep the Colts in Baltimore. So this comes back later. 
Um, now, Robert Ursay's biggest, I guess, criticism after he took over the Colts was the stadium they were using. They were sharing a stadium with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, and unfortunately, the stadium was more built for baseball. It, it really was built for baseball. It, it kind of reminded me of Oakland. You know, the old Oakland games where yeah, the you, got the, you got the baseball stadium, you know, the dirt in the field and those things. Oh, yeah. So not really built for this growing NFL. And, and what people don't realize is that the NFL is growing at this point and teams are building stadiums. And these stadiums are built to make revenue. They are, they're building these sky boxes that they can sell to corporations and all this stuff. And here the Colts are using basically a baseball stadium. So Ursay's not happy about this. This is where the story gets kind of weird. The city of Baltimore proposes the Balto Dome in 1974. <laughs> so they're going to build a dome, Great name, by the, way. <laughs> the Balto Dome. And that this is going to be a state-of-the-art, um, awesome, you know, new stadium that the Orioles and the Colts can use. It's going to have all the sky boxes and all this stuff. There's one problem. It doesn't pass legislation in the Baltimore, um, you know, Congress. They, they won't fund it. So this new stadium, you know, gets, gets kicked to the curb right as Ursay's taken over the Colts. So you know, when you think about it, I, I, you know, domes, I know might, might seem like we're so used to them, but back then, I mean, the Astrodome was really it, you know, and that was a lot of people felt like it was called a, you know, wonder of the world and whatnot. So like this to us, it might seem like, Oh wow. We look at Vegas, the stadium. We just lost Monday night football and, and what the Rams and the chargers now playing. And just, it seems so commonplace like these sort of stadiums nowadays, but back then, I mean, this was a wild idea. I mean, it was, again, outside of Houston, I don't think you really had any other domes, uh, unless I'm totally forgetting something. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, th- th- this, is, this is a pretty, pretty crazy idea. And I think the idea of publicly funded stadiums was pretty, you know, that's more of a modern thing. You know, when cities right. are going to build a stadium, it's almost kind of a guarantee that the city is going to put up some money. Um, taxpayer money. And I think at that that point in time, the, 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 the franchises were wanting the city to contribute some money. And it was still kind of a foreign idea. Like, what? We're going to give taxpayer money to build this huge dome for sports, you know? And I, I think it, it didn't get a lot of um, support in, in legislation. And, you know, the other thing, too, is like, and obviously we, we saw on Sunday of the Colts Home Openers, you got a retractable roof with all these millions of dollars pumped into it, and the Colts probably feel obligated they have to open it. And yet, you know, <laughs> you got T.Y. Hilton and, and Frank Reich, you know, really Reich saying after the game that he has to, you know, call plays based off where the sun is. It's like all this, you know, taxpayer money, and there's still debate here in 2020 if that's, you know, the right path to go down and all of that stuff. So um, the other thing about the mid 70s that I feel like stood out to me, John, was. You have, you know, again, unlike today, when you have, you know, 32 franchises across 30 cities and, you know, whatever, San Antonio and St. Louis and, I don't know, maybe San Diego. Like, those are the only cities you really ever hear about that, like, could potentially host an NFL franchise. Back then, you didn't have as many franchises. So you had a lot more of the bidding process or these cities that are saying, no, 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 no. We can sweeten the deal. We can sweeten the offer. You know, you and I were talking before this. 
it almost is kind of like a recruiting pitch oh, yeah, um, from these cities, which which you just don't have as much competition today. I mean, London. I mean, that's that's, that's <laughs> kind of the big the big attraction right now. So um, I do think back in the seventies that maybe it was more of a these owners had some leverage with their cities of like, if you don't do this, you know, I've got, you know, SEC school and Big Ten school and whatnot that are kind of knocking on my door that would love to have us there. Yeah. And again, I think that kind of motivated or at least um, it, it kind of made Ursay mad that, you know, they weren't willing to put up this money or invest in the franchise. Um, even with all this success, the championships they'd had, um, and it, it continues on into the seventies. Um, you know, Unitas is traded, um, at the end of his career, kind of, kind of reminds me, reminds me of like a Tom Brady situation, you know, kind of the end of his career for a franchise when he goes and he plays, what do you play for the chargers? Uh, just such yeah, an odd, he was not happy about that. Like he, if I remember correctly, that it took a while for when the franchise moved from Baltimore to Indianapolis for the United family to really, you know, get behind the Indianapolis Colts. And I don't know if Johnny ever, ever did. I think yeah. he's pretty bitter about everything. Yeah, we're, we'll get into that because, yeah, a lot of the former Colts were not happy with the move wow. and, and how it was done. Um, now, in the mid-70s, uh, the Colts still remain pretty successful. Um, they have a league MVP quarterback in Burt Jones, a coach of the year in Ted Marchabroda, um, and still no stadium. They cannot get support for a new stadium, even updates to the current stadium. You know, they feel like they're losing money to these other franchises who are, you know, selling out the skyboxes and all this stuff. And they're still using a baseball stadium that was built in the 1920s. Um, <laughs> so, again, there's a lot of frustrations within the Colts organizations. And then there's a nosedive. The franchise just nosedives into failure. So from 78 to 83, late seventies, early eighties, over the course of six years, the Colts go 26 and 62. All right. I don't, that's really bad. I think, I think the 81 season was like this storied, like laughable. I, I think I read that the opponents only punted 12 times the whole year. <laughs> Against Gosh. that defense. So, again, losing like a fans. coming game every <laughs> week playing the Colts. Yeah, I mean, losing support. They're losing money. Um, they're getting no support. And then, you know, you're losing. You're not going to get a new stadium. You, you, the chances of you convincing the legislation to, to give you a new stadium when you're going 26 and 62 is, is not going to happen. Yeah, if you weren't getting it when you were, you know, winning like they were in the 70s, you certainly aren't going to get it then. And also, I mean, the NFL just still was relatively new. You know, yeah. it wasn't this like, I mean, now the NFL is king and cities would, you know, get on knees to have franchises come to their city. But, you know, back then, again, it was like, how long is this going to last? Is it the revenue generator um, that, we're, that we see today? I mean, no one, I think, could have predicted how much the popularity would grow. So... Uh, I don't know, not to like side with Baltimore a little bit, but I'm kind of like, all right, I, yeah. I, I kind, it, it's not as obvious as maybe it would be today to, you know, whatever. Yeah. A, a, a mid-level city like, like Baltimore. Yeah, for sure. And, and like you said, they had a lot of leverage back then of, of we're not going to pay for this stadium. You know, nowadays, you know, hindsight, we know the stadium's not just for football. You can host concerts, 
you can host they put basketball games in football stadiums now you know and to to foresee that for the future again you like you said you kind of side with the city of baltimore of we're just not building this stadium um now I think one of the biggest stains and one of the biggest reasons that that might have influenced the Colts to move was the 1982 NFL draft. Do you know what happens mm, here? Mm, mm, mm. This isn't good. I think it was a 30 <laughs> for 30 on this. So the Colts sure have the number one overall pick, which you would think, you would assume, would just be awesome for the franchise. Hey, we're going to turn this thing around. There's a guy out of Stanford who is just seen as the the – the top guy. He's going to go number one. Who is it? John Elway. Something about those Stanford quarterbacks here with the with the Colts. It just doesn't turn yeah, out as, as great as it seems. It's a lot of bad luck. So he's the clear favorite. But again, this is a Colts franchise that's in ruins. It's terrible. He decides. He he publicly tells everyone, "I'm not playing for the Colts. I'm not going to Baltimore." Um, and. Uh, Steinbrenner from the Yankees says, I'll pay him to play for the Yankees if he wants to come play for us. <laughs> so, again... Uh, uh, this is uh, Eli Manning. Oh, know? yeah. yeah Eli yeah. saying no to the Chargers and then get drafted by the Giants. Yeah, it, it kind of set a weird precedent. I mean, usually guys just, hey, you get drafted, who you get drafted by, you try to turn the, you know, but with this threat, I'm going to go play baseball. I'm not going to go play for your franchise really really set kind of a, a bad taste in in Ursay's mouth and, and you know just the city um kind of felt like oh my gosh we're this low we're this low where the number one draft pick won't even come play for us yeah you have the laughable year of 81 and you're thinking and that was really if i'm not mistaken 82 maybe it was the 83 draft. i mean that was like kind of quarterback mecca if you oh, will yeah. you know oh, dan yeah. marino was coming out todd blackledge i think was a pretty you know, high, highly sought after. I know I'm missing a few names as well that, that, that came out of those kind of early 80 quarterback drafts. But that was, I think, the last kind of saving grace of, oh, my gosh, you know, if we're able to get, you know, who knows, you know, uh, an Elway, a Blackledge, Jim Kelly, something like that. You know, can this be the one thing that saves our franchise? Yeah. And like you said, you know, you kind of look at that like what if, you know, what if Elway goes to the Colts? Are they still in Baltimore? You know, does he turn yeah. that franchise around and then it becomes, you know, this this really successful franchise again? Uh, I don't know. So, No, that's a great point. Um, all right, so here's where it gets dicey. So in early 1984, again, the Colts are still kind of the laughing stock. They're, they're the lowest of the low in the league. Ursay, still unhappy without having a stadium, decides to shop around. He decides to kind of... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look around at some other cities, um, and, and so some of the top cities that that become potential moving places: Phoenix, Arizona, Jacksonville, and Memphis. Those become kind of the three big cities that are potential moves. The Memphis Colts. That would <laughs> that would sound a little weird. I, I don't. Know. I guess Memphis does have an NBA team, but. Yeah, that is uh, that's an interesting quartet, and I, I from what you know, I, I feel like people that should be commended more behind the scenes. Bill Hodnut, mayor of Indianapolis, I know was huge, and yes. you know, pitching our city, recruiting Robert Ursay, whatever you want to call it, 
And, and I think the appeal of coming back to the Midwest, I think, helped. And then certainly the construction of the RCA Dome was, was huge as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because Ursay didn't really consider Indy a favorite at first. And like you said, Mayor Hugnut, you know, it reaches out and he invites them. They're building the Hoosier Dome in the early 80s. He invites Ursay to come take a, a tour, uh, kind of like a recruiting trip. You know what I mean? It's like, come check out our new facility. And Ursay comes, he visits the Hoosier Dome and he falls in love. He's like, this is a place that, you know, can host a franchise. He loved that it had all the sky boxes and all the stuff. And this Balto Dome. <laughs> yeah, the Balto Dome. You know, so um, really starts to put, a, you know, a seed in the back of his mind. Uh, you know, Phoenix is still a favorite um, for relocation for obvious reasons. You know, the weather, um, growing city, but Indy is in the back of his mind. Now, here's where it gets crazy. The Maryland legislature gets word that Ursay is shopping around and they decide they're going to try to take over the franchise. <laughs> so they find a loophole in the laws. It's called eminent domain where they as a city can take over a business if they deem that, you know, something's going on or improper, whatever they can take over the business. Not just any business. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, not just any business. Now it's this NFL franchise that they're considering, you know, a business of the city. So they, on March 27th of 1984, write into law that they are going to take over the Colts from Robert Ursay. So Ursay, obviously, he panics. Like, this isn't, they're not going to take my team from me. This is not going to happen. Phoenix gets word that, you know, the Maryland legislature has passed this, you know, this law. They just need the governor's signature. That's all they need, and they have the Colts. So Phoenix backs out. They say, hey, we don't want to get into legal trouble. You know, I don't, I don't know if we want to really deal with this. Uh, you might have more on the Phoenix move and, and what happened there. Um, but Ursay's kind of stuck. He's got to find a place. He's got to find a solution. So who does he call? He calls the mayor of Indianapolis. He says, can you help me out? I'm moving tonight. <laughs> and this is, this is like in the, you know, this is in the evening of March 27th. This is climax of the Hollywood script. Yeah. Right here. And, and, and from what I was, you know, from what I've learned over the years, is Phoenix was shocked, honestly. I know that there's, you know, uh, they're backing out legality issues and whatnot, but I, I, I think to Robert Ursay, it was borderline a coin flip, and at times yep. I think he thought that this franchise was going to Phoenix. And it was, it was almost like you, you wake up that next morning and you're like, wait, what? We're in Indianapolis? I, I think we're going to Phoenix. Like it, it, and, and hearing all of that, just the unpredictability and how it's shaped you know, these, these cities forever and the Ravens and, and the Cardinals and all of that, uh, that's where it's just unbelievably just shocking how the story played out yeah there, there's a lot of stories of of even people that worked within the Colts you know when Ursay came down and said hey guys we're moving tonight they they all were really happy they're like we're going to Phoenix <laughs> and he's like no we're going to Indianapolis 
And so, you know, the people had been like packing their warm clothes and it's like, no, we're going to Indianapolis. And this was a cold night. This is like, you see the famous, like, you know, it's like kind of a rainy, snowy night uh, on March 27th. It's miserable. Miserable night. So, but how do you move an entire franchise overnight? I mean, that seems like in today's day and age, impossible. So the story goes, Mayor, I keep messing his name, is it Hugnut? Yeah, yeah. Hugnut knows the owner of the Mayflower Moving Company. They were like buddies or next door neighbors or something. There's some connection there. He calls him up in the in the evening and says, I need as many trucks as you can give me. And the guy's like, What? It's like, I need them to be in Baltimore tonight. <laughs> I'll pay whatever. We'll figure it out later. I just need as many trucks as you can spare. So the guy's like, okay. He sends 15 Mayflower moving trucks to Baltimore that arrive in the early morning hours of March 28th, 1984. Can you imagine the drivers of these trucks? How oh like, I, I assume they didn't tell them, but I mean, how excited you'd be if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not shipping, you know, whatever, a bunch of apples to Meyer. Instead, I'm shipping an NFL franchise to their new city. Yeah. And so these guys arrive and there's funny stories about these movers. They arrive and they say, you're moving the Colts. Go into the office, grab everything, load it up into the trucks as quickly as you can. And so the guys are starting to move stuff into the, into the trucks and they start to get bigger and bigger. The guys, their, their outfits are getting bigger and bigger. And they're like, what the heck's going on? And so they finally, they take off the guy's coat and a bunch of the workers had put on like eight t-shirts <laughs> and had <laughs> stuffed all their stuff in their coats. They were stealing, you know, all this Colts gear. They were stealing jerseys and they were stealing. <laughs> Some guy was trying to steal the Lombardi trophies. He, he had put the box, <laughs> he had put the box separate. And he said that when they were going to load up the box, he was going to take it out to his car. He was trying to figure out a way that he was going to steal. He was like a college kid. He was just like some college kid that they had asked to, to help move. Um, so yeah, there's like funny stories where they, they come in and they say like, all right, we know you guys are stealing stuff. We're going to leave. We're going to come back in 10 minutes. We want all your, all that stuff just in the middle of the room. <laughs> and they left, they came back and there's just this huge pile of Colts gear that they had put, put back in the, in the room. Didn't they, didn't they divide? Like it's not all 15 trucks in a line, right? Like each of them took no. a different route just in case one so, would get stopped or caught. Oh, absolutely. They're worried that the state Maryland state police might get word of this and that they'll stop the trucks and use the law. Hey, we own the business now. So they send all 15 trucks on a different route. They send them different highways, different interstate systems so that if one gets caught, they won't, you know, won't catch them all. So this is like a, like, holy cow, this is like a, this is like an army secret, operation. Yeah, this here. is like a secret army operation that they're organizing. Um, now, so in the early morning of March 28, the Colts, get out of Baltimore. Um, and they arrive at Fall Creek Elementary School in Indianapolis. That's where they unloaded their their truck. Um, and again, I, I know we've, we've done this a couple times, but can you imagine this story in 2020? No. No chance whatsoever. I mean, it would have been, you know, you would have had it played out much more publicly. Just the okay, Arizona's pitching this, and if Memphis and Jacksonville were still involved, or you know, Robert Ursay visiting Indianapolis, that would oh, have been yeah. front, you know, front page Indy Star News, and 
and and certainly, uh, you know, all over really nationally. I mean, because you think about really in the last five or six years, I mean, we saw how Oakland played out, you know, their move and, and Dan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams, you know, pitching, okay, who's going to come to me with L.A.? Is it going to be the Chargers? Is it going to be, you know, just the Rams? Is it going to be the Raiders? Like, how is that all going to play out? I and mean, that was huge NFL news, you know, every single day really seemed like for several years. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just something that you would never be able to to pull off and just goes to the stunning you know, Hollywood sort of script that uh, Robert Ursay and, and Bill Hudnut and company were able to uh, able to pull off. And again, just imagine waking up as a fan and finding out that your franchise moved <laughs> overnight. I You're should like, laugh, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's it just like that. That's just crazy. You know, like I can't even comprehend if we woke up tomorrow and they just said, yeah, the Colts moved to Memphis. You'd be like, what? Yeah. yeah, they moved. They just moved overnight. It's like you can't even comprehend, you know, that change so quickly. Um now, there are some legal battles after this move. Obviously, Maryland is not happy. Um, they try to sue uh, to get the franchise back, but it, it, this fails miserably in court, and the Colts are here to stay. They're, they're in Indianapolis. They're the Indianapolis Colts now. Unbelievable. Still a terrible football team. Uh, but, yeah, they were at least our terrible football team. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly, weren't, you know, a bunch of Baltimore Colts pretty pissed about that and, and yeah. didn't, maybe didn't want to initially play there and whatnot. Oh, yeah. I think there was a lot of current players that were upset, and then a lot of the f- the former players never really accepted the move. Um, you know, we, we talked about Unitas. Unitas really was critical. Um, and, and let me ask your opinion. Do you think that's a huge factor of why kind of the ring of honor is more the Indianapolis side and not the Baltimore side of players? Yeah, it's a good point. You know, I, I've always seen debate over that of, of why, you know, we talked about some of the Hall of Famers earlier and just some of the retired jerseys that you do have from a Baltimore sense and why it doesn't have more of a Baltimore Baltimore feel to it. And I do think, yeah, I mean, that is part of it. And I know, obviously, it's still in the same family. You know, you've gone from Robert Ursay to Jim. Uh, but still, I think now when you look at the franchise, they've spent more years in Indianapolis than they yeah. have in Baltimore. So I think you kind of cultivated, certainly with Peyton and, and, and all the winning that you had, because this franchise really struggled early on. You know, people say that, you know, if they don't draft Peyton Manning, maybe this franchise isn't here. Lucas Oil Stadium might not be here. Yeah. And, you know, it could be the L.A. Colts, like, you know, or, you know, wherever they could be. But I think it was only one playoff appearance for the first yeah. like 10 or 11 seasons. And really the big trade, ironically enough, that kind of got the Colts on the map a bit was, you know, you had the Elway going one overall um, in 83 and saying he wouldn't go to the Colts. Number two pick that year was Eric Dickerson. Yeah. And the Colts ended up trading for him kind of, I want to say like 87, I think it is, right around then. Colts were able to get a game on Monday Night Football and they had this star player. And that is what kind of helped them get on the map. They still didn't win a whole lot really until the mid-90s. But still, that was something that I think was necessary for this franchise um, to kind of take off from there. Yeah, and, and that's something we'll probably get into uh, in another future episode is just the impact of Peyton Manning and that whole draft in those years um, is just 
history unto itself, mm. you know, the impact mm-hmm. that it had on our city. And like you said, it might be the LA Colts if we don't get to draft Peyton Manning or, you know, not to get into the what ifs again, but what if we go with Ryan Leaf instead, <laughs> instead yeah. of Peyton Manning? You know, there's so many things that we can dive into. That kind of wraps up our episode. Again, like I said, crazy story on how the Colts uh, got to Indy. That was fun, man. I enjoyed it. You know, it's something that you and I probably take for granted, like we said earlier about you know having the Colts in their own backyard. But it's a wild, wild story. And uh, we definitely have a few more kind of topics that we've, we've talked about that we uh, want to get into on this podcast series. Yeah, I definitely want to get into the Pacers history. You know, obviously me and you are, are big Pacer fans, and there's a lot of history from the ABA into the NBA, and a lot of things that we can hit on that. Um, obviously, the Indy 500 is something that we could dive into. Um, and then, you know, things like high school basketball, things like, yeah. you know, the best the best athletes to come out of Indiana. Um, you know, there's a lot that we could get into. So, again, if, if, our, if the listeners have any ideas, suggestions, um, we are all for it. We are up for, for anything you guys want to hear about. Yeah, tweet me, uh, KBowen1070. Go ahead and plug your Twitter as well, uh, John, and we'll make sure to uh, take any ideas and we'll just be interactive and, and, and have fun because we think there's some really cool stories from a historical sense that uh, we, we can tell over the coming weeks and months. For sure. Yeah, you can reach me at Coach Ashworth on Twitter. So again, yeah, send me a DM. Any ideas that you guys want to hear about, um, we're all for it. Again, uh, this is for a listener. Uh, you know, Obviously, we enjoy it, but it's for you guys. Love it, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Playoffs. Thanks, Kevin. We'll talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Man, did this dude just did this? I truly have enjoyed being your quarterback. <laughs>